أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم So continuing with um, something kind of new that he started with Irada and the chapter on Irada and aiming for certain things um, here Ayatollah Jawadi moves on from irada to shauk. Shauk will be translated to eagerness or longing for something or passion of something, um, ardor, things like that. Um, and so he says that some are slower on the path. They have irada of the path. But some who move faster, they have moved on from irada and just aiming for uh, a certain goal destination that we talked about in our last session for them they're going to be moving faster why because now they've developed a longing for the destination and so shauq is that stronger irada to the point and this is where he you know he mentions the the criterion for to be able to tell if you have shauq or not and of course shauq is a term uh, that is um that we have in our in different languages as well, like in Farsi, probably Urdu as well, shauq, ishtiaq, things like that. So this shauq, if I want to tell if my irada has changed to shauq uh, or has evolved to shauq, how, how can I tell? He says, by seeing if you've reached the point where you uh, taste the sweetness of the murad, the, that which you're after, and if you haven't reached it yet, that you suffer from its separation. Let me read what he says here. He says that, yes, let me see. All right, so he says that um, having jaza um, in regards to the past having jaza and wailing and being upset about the past and what you have missed out on when it comes to the past versus um, being happy about. Let's say it like this. Actually, let me reword it. He says, having jaza and wailing and being upset and grievous over the past is not going to, is not going to benefit anyone. And what is going to benefit is that a person is going to be patient in the face of that which they have lost from in the past. But if a person towards what isn't coming in the future, yes, they're upset about that, what's going to happen is that they're going to, this, they're going to have pain towards it, towards not having it, and so they're going to work harder to get there. Yes. So... Let me say this one more time. He says, wailing and being upset about the past is going to do one no good. And the only thing that one can do is have patience towards it, correct? While if a person has this pain, has this wailing and upsetness and grief, then what's going to happen is that this pain is going to motivate them when it comes to the future. So you can be patient towards what you haven't achieved in the past. But what, what this same uh, upsetness that you have, uh, this same upsetness is going to push you 
to do them something so that in the future at least you're not in pain. And that's why he's saying that this shawq is so important. A person who has shawq, what's going to happen with them is that they are going to work hard to get rid of this pain that they have. A person who is in pain, he says, for reaching the destination and the goal and to get rid of that pain and suffering of not reaching that goal and destiny, will try their best to get there and get rid of it. So it's motivation. The one who has tasted the bitterness of separation will try their best to get rid of that, he says. And as a result, they will have more speed than the others and they will overtake the others in reaching the destination. Okay. He says, this is why shawq is one of those things that uh, is one of those stages of sayr and suluk, one of those stages of spiritual wayfaring which is a more stronger version of this irada that we spoke about before. Okay, so that's a shok. It's nothing uh, too big there. But as I said, the criterion is nice that he gives us. He says, if you see that you taste the sweetness of, you know that there's a sweetness in reaching the destination, and the fact that you're not there yet, there's a bitterness to it. He says, this is why, this is what you, you can call shok. Versus a person who just has irada, a person who has irada of something is going to try to get there, but they're not feeling that pain or suffering from not reaching the destination, okay? So that's the difference between these two. So a person who has shok is moving faster towards the destination versus the one who only has irada. But then he moves on very quickly to mahabba or hub, which is the next stage, where he speaks of how the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which muhabba and hub means love. This love of Allah, um, or its love in general, is going to have different grades. There's going to be a stronger love and a weaker love. And he cites this verse, um, maybe one of the few, or if not the only verse of the Quran that speaks of love and uses the word hub towards Allah. I don't remember, maybe there's other verses, but this is the main one. Uh, Surah Baqarah verse 165. It's an interesting verse because it says there are people who take partners or take lords other than Allah. And so what happens is they love them. These idol worshippers in the time of the Prophet didn't, you can't say they didn't love the idols. They loved their idols. Right? So one will ask, love is love, correct? Love of the idols, love of Allah. And this is going to be equal. Because love, there isn't, there's only one love. A person, can ha- a person can have love. This love isn't going to be two, three, or four. Love is love. You have love. It's not, you can't multiply love. But he says it gets strong and weak. That is the case. If you have love, you have love in you. Okay. But this love can be a stronger version of love or a weaker version of love. And so he explains here, because the verse is saying, there are people who love their idols, who love their partners that they have given to Allah. They love them the same way they love Allah. Okay. But then, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ But the people who believe, they love Allah, they have a, stronger love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the question begs to be asked, what makes it different here? These people, they love their idols as much as they love Allah. But then the verse says, but the ones who love Allah and are believers, 
they love Allah in a more stronger way. What makes it stronger? Because look, we know, we've said this again and again, the mushrikeen back then, they also loved Allah. It's not like they hated Allah. They loved Allah too. They believed in Allah. They believed He's the creator. The problem was that they believed that there are others who are also running the show after Allah created. So they love Allah. But why is it that the love of a believer towards Allah is stronger than the love of a mushrik towards their idol that they love as much as Allah? Why? What's the difference? He says that it's because, yes, the beauty of the idol, okay, the uh, whatever it is that you find in the idol is something that is limited to the senses. The beauty of an idol is that which you see. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you also see a lot of beauty. You look around you, you look at His creation, and if that's His creation and so beautiful, it reflects His beauty. Correct. But He says there's more to it when it comes to Allah than just what an idol has. What is it that sets Allah apart from the idols? He says, not only does the believer see the beauties with their eyes and all the other things that they sense and see, but from through the intellect and through the aql, they're able to understand God in a way. And once they do understand God in a certain way and they figure things out about him. So for example, they see that creation is so great, so it's so vast and requires so much power through this, they deduce intellectually, they deduce that then, wow, the Khaliq must be all powerful. Yes, and almighty. So with the Aql also, they are a witness to the virtues, the qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't do that with an idol. As a matter of fact, with an idol, what happens? When you think about it a little bit, the opposite takes place. When you look at the idol, you're like, this person, this, this guy can't do anything for me. I made, the, I, I built him myself. So, what gives? <laughs> why should I? Why should I even care about it? But it's a beautiful thing. So that's as far as it goes. Whatever the eyes can see, whatever the senses sense. With Allah, the same. Plus, the aql tells us there's a lot more beauty here. There's a lot more going on here. So the cognition is stronger. He says, as a result of the aqli cognition being stronger, it shows that the one who is the possessor of this cognition is stronger. If the one who, or, or that which, excuse me, that which one is using to um, take in all of this beauty, which is the aql, is stronger than just the senses, then what happens as a result, because the, what we're, the tools that I'm using are stronger, it shows that the love is going to be stronger. So let me repeat that. I have a cognition. That which my that which I am gaining this cognition from the tools and the means, which is not my just my eyes and senses, but it's more than that. It's the aql. Since the tools are stronger, then what happens is that this cognition is stronger. As a result, the love is going to be stronger. So going back to the verse, when it says that those who believe love Allah greater and more than the love idol worshippers have for their idols, why is that the case? Because the believers are utilizing something to gain a special cognition of that which they worship 
that the idol worshippers can never accomplish because there's nothing special about what they uh, worship. Now, this is talking about the idols, but you can apply this to everything. You're so into a person, you're so into whatever it is that you think is going to be your key to success. Okay? You look at them and you see how much you are attached to that thing, that person, because you rely on that thing or person for your success. If you were to use your aql a little bit, you'll understand that no, this person is not worth it. The love there isn't going to be as strong as the love that I'm supposed to have towards Allah. So same thing. Now these guys, they were struggling with understanding the basics of idols not deserving their worship or their love. But we can apply that to anything other than Allah as a matter of fact. And so from there he segues into this idea of because the love is stronger, that is why throughout history, he says when we see in the battles between those who were faithful versus mushrikeen and kuffar throughout history, what we find is that the mu'mineen have always been victorious in one way or another, of course. Why is this the case? He says it's because of their resistance. And their resistance is a result of the love that they have. And the love that they have is the result of the ma'rifah and cognition of Allah that they have. Okay? So, because the cognition is greater, the love is greater, as a result, the resistance is going to be more complete. Yeah? And if the resistance is the most perfect form of resistance, if the resistance is the most complete form of resistance, then victory, where is it going to be? Is it going to be with the weaker resistance or the stronger resistance? It's going to be with the stronger resistance. So he says, this is the key even when it comes to the struggles in this life, this love, okay, which we're talking about, this hope that we're talking about. Then he goes on to say that hope, there's two types of it. There's a false love and a real love. Now someone might say, what are you talking about? Because in the end, I have love in my heart. I'm sensing it. You can't tell me I don't have love. He says, true. That's true. But I am saying that it is false love or true love from a certain perspective. What perspective is he saying that love can be false or true? He says, look, let's see what that love is attached to. What is the object of this love? Right? What is it that you are in love with? If you're in love with something because of its qualities, and those qualities have no flaw and deficiency in them whatsoever, this is ishqa. Hakiki, a true love. But if you're in love with something and the thing that you're in love with is full of flaws and deficiencies, okay, that is you, what you have is love, but this is ishq majazi, it's called metaphorical love. It's not real love. If you really want to look at it and put it under the microscope, it's not going to actually be real love. Why? Because there's deficiency there. Let me read what he says. He says love is of two types, true and false. The true love is that a person uh, identifies the virtues of something. And once they find out about those virtues, they will fall in love with them. Like the love one has towards Allah. And at the same time, this virtue will also attract them and connect them to them. It's not like it's a one-way thing, it's a two-way thing. So Allah is going to be pulling them and this person is also going towards Allah and is in love. Okay. And so he says it's a two-way street here with real love. But false love is that a person assumes and falsely perceives flaws and deficiency, naqs, as a kamal, as 
a virtue or a good quality. And because of this illusion, yes, they will become attached and fall in love with that, with that thing. That's not an actual virtue because it's flawed, it's deficient. Like love of other than Allah. And so here, I mean, this is something, this is a concept that you will find in Irfan a lot. They talk about it a lot. Ishqa haqiqi, ishqa majazi. Ishqa haqiqi, ishqa majazi. Haqiqi love, true love. What is that? They say that is only the love a person has towards Allah. Other than that, it's all false love. Wow. Think about it. Uh, love of other than Allah is going to be false love. That which is going to end, that which is flawed, that which is finite. And so Imam Ali in that famous hadith, he says, Amurukum birrafd dunya lakum. I'm just telling you to reject this dunya that is going to eventually leave you. You leave it first. Leave it, of course, you have to live here. You have to do what you got to do here. Leave it means don't fall in love with it. Yeah. And so therefore he concludes here that everything is love. But if a person sees that their love to this dunya and the akhirah, their love to Allah and other than Allah is all equal, this person isn't a real mu'min. Of course, we understand what he means right now by saying real mu'min. Even if you have equal love towards all these things, doesn't mean you're a kafir. But you don't have that highest level of iman as a result of your flawed ma'rifah. The reason why you have fallen in love equally with other things, okay, including Allah, shows your ma'rifah is flawed. Or else you wouldn't fall in love with flaw and deficiency. So it shows your ma'rifah is flawed. And so he says, this whole talk about love and everything, that some people say everything revolves around love, he says, as a matter of fact, I want to say that no, everything doesn't revolve around love. Love is not the starting point. Rather, ma'rifah is the starting point. Ma'rifah is the starting point. And that's why he takes the whole discussion to ma'rifah in the next stage of akhlaq. <laughs> he says, no, let's go to ma'rifah and speak about ma'rifah. So over here, he says that there are some who say that, yeah, the root of some fadail and virtues is, is hub, is love. But I'm going to tell you it's not the case. It's not an accurate assessment. It's because of your ma'rifah. And then he starts giving examples of this. Of how ma'rifah is what really matters, is the active ingredient in things. He says, for example, when you have ma'rifah of a God that has love, that has compassion, benevolence towards you, mercy towards you, generosity towards you, this is what causes you to have hope in that, in that God. You're not even in love with that God yet. The fact that you understand this about God, you have this ma'rifah, <coughs> excuse me, is what brings hope to you. So what is it here working? Ma'rifah or, lo or, or love? Ma'rifah. For example, when we know that his wrath and anger is going to be entailed by Jahannam, okay, and that people that do wrong will be punished, this ma'rifah and understanding is the cause of our fear. And so as a result, what do we do? We do what we have to do in this life. And this will be the reason why we are saved in this life. So that's good. But where did it come from? It came from ma'rifah. There's no, as a matter of fact, when there's fear, some might argue there is no hope. I want to, I would argue otherwise, but some might even go that far. So like, still you're making it because of your ma'rifah, even if you don't have love, you just know that there is a God 
and that there is a punishment and that can happen to you. And so that, that gets you off of your back. And this one's kind of interesting. He says, the fact that you have ma'rifah, that all of the creatures and creation of Allah are in constant obedience and servitude of Allah. And then he cites this verse, which is it's one of my favorite verses, Surah Fusilat, verse 11. فَقَالَ لَهَا وَلِلْأَرْضِ اِتِيَا طَوْعًا أَوْ كَرْهًا قَالَتَا أَتَيْنَا طَائِعِينَ Allah, after He created the heavens and the earth, He addressed them. He said, all right, are you going to come to me now voluntarily or by force? They said, we come to you voluntarily. In other words, we are obedient to you voluntarily. So you look around you, Allah says in the Quran, I'm the one who created, then I guided, meaning everything is moving in that direction they're supposed to move to. to. The, the little plant grows into a tree. The baby grows into an adult. Everything is moving in a certain direction from the command of Allah. Of course, it's a takmini command. So when I see that I am surrounded by obedience, just sheer obedience of everything towards Allah, if I have this ma'rifah that sin and disobedience is going to be moving against such a current, right? What am I going to do? I'm going to have a disgust of sin and disobedience. Now, it's easy for me to say sitting here 40 years old, all right? I can't say this when I'm a 15-year-old, you know, struggling with, with different sins, you know, for example. And of course, my, a person my age will struggle with their relative sins and then a 60-year-old will, 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 will struggle with their sins. But all in all, all in all, this is also one way some look at it. They look at it like this. They say the whole universe is just sheer obedience. When I disobey, I am going against this whole current and I am disrupting all of this order and system that's in place. And so Ayatollah Jawadi says this here, which, hey, it's open to discuss, but uh, this is what he says. He says, so even when we say, in Surah Fatiha, what we're actually saying is not, oh Allah, we human beings worship you, or we or human beings obey you and are your abs and slaves. Rather, I am saying this and I'm echoing what all of creation is saying. Only you do we worship. We here means what? All of creation and the universe. Okay. It's a nice esoteric way to look at it. All right. So from this, he says that, so if anyone wants to sin, that means they're going against what the, the direction every other creature of Allah is moving. Yeah. And then all these creatures of Allah are going to stand against this individual. So they're afraid that they're going to get really in big trouble, not just because of the punishment of Allah. When you're going against the current and direction of something, you get destroyed. They are afraid that, of that destruction. So this is a ma'rifah. This is a ma'rifah. And it gets the job done, he says. Where's the hub? Not necessarily hub there, but I have this ma'rifah. With it will come love though. Another example he gives, the ma'rifah that we have, the understanding we have that, number one, I am in need of a lot of things. Number two, I don't know exactly everything that I am in need of. Number three, even if I know what I'm in need of, Everything is not at my disposal the way I want it. All of the causes that lead to what I need are not at, in my hands. And I'm not able to uh, secure all of that. Number four, he says, sometimes there will be people that can help you in something, but they're just going to be selfish about it. They just don't want to. They're not interested. They hold back. So when it comes to Allah, all of these four or five things 
Allah has all of them. He's not bakhil. He's not going to hold back if he can. If he can give it. Number one. Number two, he knows best what I need. Number three, all of the causes are in his hands, etc., etc., etc. Because when I know all of this, okay, then what am I going to do? Well, duh, I'm going to put things in his hands. This is called tawakkul. This tawakkul is a result of hope? No, it's a result of ma'rifah. Yeah, and so he goes a step further, and this is super important, by the way. The fact that also I have this ma'rifah of how this natural world works and everything is linked in one way or another to each other, I will also look at the bigger picture and so I will also acknowledge and understand that when things don't go the way I want, if he's taking care of a whole system with trillions of variables, infinite number of variables, then I'm not going to be a baby about things and say, why didn't I get the thing that I wanted the way, the way I want? Yeah, he's running the show with there's with there's, there's millions and billions and trillions of variables, like understand. And so if it's going to be bitter for me, I'm still good. This is super important to think about. Once again, this is a ma'rifah. Some people don't have this ma'rifah. You know what happens? They, com they complain about God. And we have hadith that Allah says, why are you complaining? I am the one who's running everything. Like understand, it, it's not like that. If it was going to run the way you want only, then you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have brought you here to begin with. Yeah. And so everything else, raja, hope. Irada, shok, mahabba, hob, ishq, taslim, submission to Allah. All of these things, he says, are actually the result of what? The result of ma'rifah. So I really like this. I really like how he did shok. He talked about it. Didn't spend too much time on it. He even spoke about the love aspect. He didn't worry too much about it. He did speak about it. He didn't worry too much about it. He's making a big deal about ma'rifah because if the ma'rifah comes, the love will come with it. Yeah. And so where does that put us when it comes to adding to this ma'rifah? Yeah, and how important it is for us. Ma'rifah is everything really. And so here he says there are different grades of ma'rifah. You have taqlidi ma'rifah. You have burhani ma'rifah. You have shuhudi ma'rifah. Okay. Taqlidi means that I will take the word of someone else that I trust 110%. Be it a prophet, be it an imam, be it even my parents, you know. When you're a kid growing up, you take the word of your parents because you know they care for you the most. They're not going to hide anything from you. They're not going to hold back on anything that's for you, that's good for you. And so they're telling me to do things in this way and that way. All right. So whatever it is, whether you're reading it from the Quran, whatever it is, because the Qur'an said so, because the Imam or the Prophet said so, if I am taking that and that is my understanding as a result and my ma'rifah as a result of what I've read or heard or taken in from them and registered, this is a taqlidi ma'rifah. Interesting. So not that he is undervaluing it or anything, okay? But it, at the end of the day, this is that first grade of ma'rifah, which is one, that is will be the stepping stone and the foundation of the other ones. What else do we have? Well, once somebody sees what the Quran is telling them, the Imams are telling them, the Prophet is telling them, and so on, what happens is they will go and start working on things themselves, on gaining even more ma'rifah. How do they do that? By actually convincing themselves. Okay? Through what? Through argumentation, through burhan, it says here. And so they will do the work themselves now. This has its pros, it has its cons. Sometimes you're wrong about things. 
sometimes you're able to reach certain conclusions, but the scope of it is so limited. You can't, for example, no matter how much I think about things, I won't be able to figure out what the angels are all, are, are all about. I can't. With this aql of ours, we can't. Can I understand how the ibadat are supposed to be? I can't. With this aql, I can't. With burhan and argumentation, I can't. Those are, that's where you will have to have that ma'rifah from the Qur'an and from the Ahlul Bayt and so on. But at the end of the day, there's also a burhan in doing taqlid and following somebody. Okay? What do you do beforehand? You tell yourself, this person's connected somehow. And they know what they're talking about. This is all your intellect telling you. And so I'm going to follow them. Well, why are you following them? Because of the miracles they've shown me, for example. Okay? Or for whatever other reason there is. So even in taqlid, there's a burhan here behind taqlid itself. And then taqlid branches out to different beliefs that you can now have as a result of reading or hearing. Okay? But when we say burhan is one of those ways of gaining ma'rifah, not that it's the backbone of something else that's going to branch out, but it itself is going to branch out. Burhan itself says, okay, I want to prove to you that this God that is the creator is going to be an all-powerful one. This God that's the creator is, a mo is the most beautiful out there. And has the most perfection and so on and so forth, okay? So there is a slight difference between these two. I hope I got that across. But these two and anything else like them, put them on one side. Personally, I think that all of these are to lead, are there to lead us to something else. And that is a shuhudi ma'rifah. Now this shuhudi ma'rifah, one might argue that will come after we die, for sure. Okay? But then... There, it, you can't rule it out from this dunya either. And for some, maybe a lot of people even, because there's a ton of grades here itself. Within the shuhudi category, shuhud means to experience something firsthand, to see something, experience something firsthand. This shuhudi ma'rifah itself has tons of grades in it, okay? And Allah speaks about this a little bit maybe in Risalatul Wilaya. Uh, he might speak about it there. But anyway, I want to give some examples of uh, literature that we have that speak about this shuhudi ma'rifah. What is meant by it? Before I get to that literature, what is meant by shuhudi ma'rifah? It's that you have a cognition. You have an understanding of Allah, but it's not the result of argumentation. It's not the result of taqlid. Taqlid meaning just following something that you have read or heard from the right source. Okay? It's different. It's different than someone tells me, that fire burns versus me putting my hand on fire or in fire, right? My knowledge will be the same, let's call it. My data, my information will be the same still. Fire hurts and burns when someone tells me or when I put my hand in the fire, okay? But one, you can never compare one to the other. The one who puts their hand in fire will never put their hand in fire again. But the one who's never put their hand in fire, you put fire in front of them, they might put their hand in it. Even a baby understands this. Okay, even a baby knows the first time you're having your chai, baby comes and you let the baby touch it for once so they know that this is something hot, they will never touch it again. Even the babies, they, they you know, they're, they're like that. So once they gain that ma'rifah shuhudi, which they've experienced it themselves, there's no turning back, no looking back and going back. Okay, so this shuhudi, some will achieve it here where they will gain an understanding of God as a result of Allah blessing them with a certain experience and so on. Now, one more thing I want to say before I get to that literature is that sometimes you will have an experience 
And that is between you and Allah and it's unfiltered. But the moment you interpret it, the moment you put it in the confines of words to tell others, that's a filter right there. And that is where we sometimes have a problem. Even some of the greatest urafa, they'll have an issue when it comes to interpreting, explaining, or just transmitting their experience to others in words. Okay, And it can even be a means of misguidance of people, by the way. And so the best thing to do if you have something like that is to just zip it. They say, unless you, you really know what you're doing. So just the fact that a person has this shuhud doesn't mean that this is now a green light for them to go share it with the world. No, relax, buddy. Okay. You have to be a professional in this and have experienced again and again, maybe. And I have seen some of the greats talk about this. That yeah, so-and-so was good at the shuhud, but, but they were not good at actually when it came to explaining it and transferring it to others. They weren't good at it. So that's apparently something. So this is, of course, um, this is all beyond me, but yeah. Anyway, shuhudi ma'rifa, for example, we have hadith. These are famous, all of them. Al-ilmu nurun fi qalbi man yasha. Ilm and knowledge, okay, is really a light that Allah has to put in somebody's heart that he wishes. Who does he wish it for? The one who is ready for it. So not everyone's going to get that. Someone will say, no, ilm is what you learn in the books. Well, that's called taqlidi ma'rifah. You want shuhudi ma'rifah, it's not in the books. It comes as a result of something else. Or for example, Ya ayyatun nafsul mutma'inna irji'i ila rabbiki radiyatan mardiyya. Nafsul mutma'inna. Why? What is it that makes a soul a mutma'inna soul? A tranquil soul. There's something special about it that has been given to it. As a result, it's tranquil now. Think about it. Like, think about it. If you actually see God, let's just say, okay, you actually are seeing God. How comfortable, how calm are you going to be? If you, let's say you see God's hand around you and just, you know, taking you left and right, what you're doing in life, you see his hand is with you. How calm are you going to be? The problem is we don't see that hand and so we don't have that calm and tranquility, right? But nafsul mutma'inna is the one that Allah has blessed in a certain way now that it has reached tranquility. Or for example, ibadullah al-mukhlasin, those servants of Allah that are purified by Allah. What does that mean? So for example, Prophet Yusuf salam, he was with his Zulaikha, it says that he would have fallen into that grave sin لَوْلَا أَنْ رَأَى بُرْحَانَ رَبِّهِ إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا الْمُخْلَصِينَ He was one of our purified servants. We had given him something special. We had given him a burhan, but not your normal argument and uh, philosophy, philosophical argument. No, burhan here, something special from Allah. Burhana rabbihi, something that came from Allah. Okay, so this is a shuhudi thing. Or for example, the Quran says, اِتَّقُوا اللَّهُ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ اللَّهُ Have taqwa and Allah will teach you. Well, Allah teaches me. What do you mean? Like he's going to be at the whiteboard telling me something? No, of course not. Teach me in the sense of al-ilmu nuran, that it's a light that Allah will put in the parts of those he wants. Okay. Having said all of this, these different levels of ma'rifah and each of them within them is going to have different grades, like the burhani one, the second one. Sometimes you have very weak arguments. Sometimes you have very strong, solid, philosophical, mathematical arguments for ma'rifah. So each of these is going to have its own thing. Taqridi, same thing. Sometimes you follow your parents 
Sometimes what do you follow? You follow the Imams, the Prophet themselves. Okay, things like that. All right, so having said all of that though, he says, look, in the end though, if you have a ma'rifah, even if you have the highest levels of shuhudi ma'rifah, one thing is a given, it's a must, that you have to admit to your deficiency in ma'rifah. That your ma'rifah is still going to be flawed and the fact, and the lack of ma'rifah that you have is going to always be more than the actual ma'rifah that you have. Okay, so that is something that he says you have to keep in mind. So with that, um, he says a lot of other things, but I felt that they're not as related to the actual topic. What's important though is that us as uh, Muslims and followers of the Prophet and Ahlul Bayt we've got to work on this ma'rifah. It starts with the taqlidi in its broad sense of the term. And then as a result of that taqlidi, you go to Burhani and inshallah, inshallah, shuhudi happens. If it doesn't, that's fine as well. As long as you're doing what you got to do in this life, the shuhudi will happen for you on the, in the barzakh onwards, okay? But make sure that you're doing that much. And the more ma'rifah comes, inshallah, the more love comes. When the more love comes, then everything else is going to be beautiful after that. And if you have the right ma'rifah, it'll reach a point where you have yaqeen, inshallah, which is our next stage of akhlaq that we'll cover in our next session. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.